0: The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn in your Bibles or on your app to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to be in verse 12 starting together. Uh, Philippians is right after Ephesians and right before Colossians, uh, and it's going to be found in the back third of your Bible. Uh, If you don't have a Bible of your own and you want one, uh, we have them available for free. You can just ask an usher or anybody uh, back in the lounge after service, and uh, we'll be happy to get you one, okay? We want everyone to have a Bible that wants one. Uh, If you don't happen to have a Bible or a Bible app with you right now, the verses will be up on the screens behind me, so you're welcome to just follow along there or you can just uh, listen as we read the Word of God together. Uh, This week we are continuing in our series. Uh, It's called Joy, A Journey Through Philippians. And uh, we are going verse by verse through this powerful book of the Bible, which was written as a pastoral letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. Now, last week we studied the first 11 verses, and we got a real good glimpse of the deep trust and affection shared between Paul and these believers in Philippi. Uh, This week, we're going to encounter some rich and powerful truths as Pastor Paul describes his current situation uh, as he writes and uh, opens up about his thoughts and feelings regarding it. Okay, so we're in Philippians, uh, we're in chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 12 and we're going to read to verse 20 together, okay? Now, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater Progress of the gospel, so that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Praise God for his word. Amen. All right, let's dig together. Uh, In reference to verse 12, I'm going to take a short jaunt here just to set us up and line us up. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, And piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. In Jeremiah 23, 29, God says, Is not my word like fire, and like a hammer which shatters rock? If we approach these verses that we just read with open ears and humble hearts today, we will experience the reality of God's word as a sharp sword which cuts, or a hammer that crushes. This cutting and crushing is not for our harm, but for our good, because the sword of God's Word cuts away the webs of entanglements and encumbrances that distract us and lead to destruction. And it crushes the rocks of pride and stubborn obstinance which ruin the field of our hearts and render them infertile. God's Word, like a purifying fire, can burn away the dross of foolish and useless things, leaving only what is pure and of eternal purpose and value. Now here's why I I kind of belabor the point to prepare you for the compassionate cutting and crushing as well as the benevolent burning of the word of God as we move forward. My hope in this is not to warn you as if this would be something you should fear. My point is to stir you to excitement as you anticipate the unmatched power of the Word of God unleashed upon your heart by the Spirit of God to change you and shape you and make you more like Jesus in the way you speak, think, and act. And so I hope everything I just said doesn't cause fear in you but stirs you to excitement anticipating what it is the power of the Word of God is about to do in us. I'm excited. I hope you're excited with me. Amen. We learn something amazing from verse 12. We see what is the highest concern, both of Paul and of the Philippian Christians, regarding the fact that he is in jail and facing a death sentence. So what is is their highest concern? What is their big priority? Of all the details that Paul could share, he begins describing his situation with this profound statement. My circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. This is one of their pastors. Uh, This is is the apostle who planted their church and first shared the good news with them. They love him. They care for him. This is clear from uh, the first part of this letter and other places. He is their spiritual father, uh, and we saw in the way the letter opens that they had an incredibly deep love and affection for him. Now, in order to kind of get this, imagine with me for a second. I need you to play an imagination game. Let, let your mind go here. Imagine someone you love very much. Get that first. Imagine someone you love very much. Now imagine that they are imprisoned for loving Jesus and preaching about him in some other country. They go on a missions trip or they're out there for a while and they go to jail for uh, being on gospel mission. Now imagine that person is able to write you a letter while they are there. As you tear open that envelope, what are the things that you're going to be hoping to read first? What news are you going to be hoping for? If we're honest, wouldn't most of us want to hear, first of all, that they're okay? That they're being fed? That they're healthy? That they're not being tortured or abused in their imprisonment? Wouldn't we want to know how they, the person we love, is doing? Isn't that the news we're looking for? Probably, first and primary. Here's... Here's what's shocking and and amazing about this. As soon as Paul begins to address the current situation, the first question he answers is not about his health or his treatment or emotional condition. The first report he gives is how his imprisonment is affecting the progress of the gospel. First thing on his mind. First bit of news out of the gate. Well, how is he? That's not the most important thing. Here's the first thing I need to let you know. This is how me being in jail is affecting the gospel. Woo, come on. You, are you understanding what I'm talking about? I will hang out here unless you let me know we're all together on this. We can't keep going till you understand how big this is. This is a big deal. This is paradigm shifting, man. This is lens changing. This speaks volumes to us, and it should teach us something deep. Here's, and and, and it makes sense that he would do this in light of their history, right? Because if you go back and you read Acts chapter 16, you will see the historical account of what happened when Paul first came to Philippi a decade or so earlier before the writing of this letter. Um, part of the story goes, uh, they're, they're walking through uh, the town there, and there's a slave girl that has on her what the Bible calls a spirit of divination. She can tell the future. She's essentially kind of like you would imagine a gypsy. She's a slave. She has owners. She's walking around behind Paul and Silas saying, these guys are representing the one true God, and she's saying all kinds of right things. But here, and guys, here's why we need discernment, man. We need the Spirit's help to do what it is God has made us and called us to do, because this girl was saying all the right things. She had all the right rhetoric, and yet Paul, by the Spirit of God, was able to know that this was not of God, it was not for the furthering of the gospel, that she had a demon spirit on her, and he cast it out of her. We can't, we can't, the the Bible doesn't give us the thick black lines we wish that it it did. It doesn't give us a, a grid that we can walk into every situation with, apply it, and just come up with the answer. That is why we are called to lean upon and put all of our hope in the fact that the Spirit of God now indwells us, right? It's pretty cool that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, that he left his throne to come to earth to be among us. That's pretty cool. But what we didn't, we, we didn't need that ultimately. Ultimately, we, he did have to come, but, but the end-all be-all and the goal and where God was headed in his glorious plan of redemption was not just God with us, but God in us. And if we do not have the power of the Spirit in the midst of all that we are doing, we will be duped and tricked, and oftentimes it will be by people that are saying the right things. This girl had a demon on her. Paul casts it out, but remember, she's a slave with owners who used to make money off the fact that she could tell the future, or, or was whatever demonic power was you know, dealing with her gave her enough insight to be able to seem like she could tell the future, right? So uh, the owners are not happy. They just lost their income off this girl. So uh, they go to the authorities. They get Paul and Silas arrested, Okay. Uh, it says that, you know, at, at, later that night, Paul and Silas, they're in jail. It says they, they got, you know, everyone was pretty super ticked and riled up about Paul and Silas coming in, talking about Jesus, casting demons out of people, messing up, you know, income streams. So they didn't just get put in the jail. I mean, they got put down in the deep part of the jail, got stocks put on their legs. This was not a good picture. They were in big time, serious trouble. So what did Paul and Silas do? Did they go in jail and cry? Do they go in there and complain? No, it says... Uh, later on that night, they were singing worship songs to Jesus with the stocks around their legs and the chains on their hands. And guess what happened, man? An earthquake pops up and every door in the jail bursts open. All the restraints fall off the prisoners. Woo, come on. So they're singing in the midst of their trouble, man. There's something else for us. Come on, church. You know what I'm talking about? we got to be able to keep that perspective, man. God is worthy of worship. I don't care what it looks like around you. And we're going to get to here in a second, even if an earthquake doesn't come in the midst of that, we're still going to sing and be happy. But hold on, let me get ahead of myself. So that happened that time, okay? And the Philippians knew that. So the last time Paul was in jail, that's how it went down as far as they were concerned, or at least it was the situation they they had eyes on. The Philippians had seen God be glorified and the gospel advanced by a miraculous intervention where Paul and Silas were freed from jail pretty quickly after being put there. Paul knows that these Philippian believers are passionate about the gospel going forward, and so he knows they are concerned that because he has not been freed from jail this time, that perhaps the progress of the gospel will be slowed. So it's not just Paul's conviction personally that The first thing I should let them know is, no, the gospel hasn't been slowed down by the fact that I'm in jail. It's actually speeding up. Let me tell you how, and that's what we're going to get to in a second. It's not only Paul's conviction about the power and the priority of the gospel. He knows that those believers in the church he planted and the people he discipled, the first thing they're going to be concerned about, yeah, they love Pastor Paul. Yeah, they want to know if he's okay, but ultimately they're going to be real concerned right off the bat. Paul, if you're in jail, God hasn't busted you out. What's happening with the progress of the gospel? right? Because God called you to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Man, you're supposed to be spreading the word of God to the ends of the earth. So if you're locked up in jail, what's happening? Woo. Don't worry, y'all. The progress of the gospel is going forward and it's accelerating. Here's some ways, okay? That's what he has to sound. Uh, so his first report is, is not about his own well-being. It's about the well-being of the mission to tell the world about Jesus, and Because, because that, is, uh, that is the first priority for him and for the church that he planted and discipled, which is beautiful. And if you're tracking with me, you understand the implications of what I'm talking about here. Dear friends, I'm asking you to please join me in letting the beautiful hammer of the word of God crush us under its magnificent weight as we think about these things. And we let this very premise of just verse 12 judge us. How different would our lives look how much more effective would we be for the cause of Christ if our first concern in times of trouble was not our own physical or emotional well-being, but instead our minds raced towards this singular question, how can this turn out for the greater progress of the gospel? What would it look like if that's where we were at first? And how, how much of our thought life and how much of the way we deal with difficult situations or joyous situations, right? Let's be honest. How much of every circumstance that that comes across our path is the first place our mind races? How is it that this can be a part of God's redemptive plan and and be a part of the furthering of the progress of the gospel? Not just in hard times, but in good times. Oftentimes we're distracted by hard times, but, but almost more so we're distracted by good times. Verse 12 brings this beautiful weight to bear on us, and we have to let it judge us in a healthy way. All right, we talked about self-judgment a few weeks ago. I'm not talking about condemnation. But guys, I'm telling you right now, when I think about the fact that the first thing Apostle Paul had to say to this church was not, hey, you know, uh, I'm alive. You know, I've ate this week. Um, You know, I'm not dying of sickness. That's because it's not the first... He's not the first priority to him, and he knows he's not the first priority to them. He tells them the first thing out the gate. Don't worry. The gospel's still going forward, and God's will's still being done. Mm. Come on now. I'm going to dance up here, y'all. You don't want that. So let me know you hear me, man. (laughs) Whoo! Help us, Jesus. I'm happy about it, and I'm acting happy about it, but at the very same time, the hammer of God's Word is crushing stones in my heart, man. We need to be honest. This isn't oftentimes the first priority for us. It's not the first place our mind goes. We got to get that right. We will never, let me say this, this it's real important, we will never with sheer willpower alone discipline our hearts and minds to consider first God's mission in all circumstances. This is a matter for prayer, and it is a glorious work that we must ask the Spirit of God to do in us. We are not going to decide, even if I even if by some miraculous chance I just did a great job convincing you that the gospel and its progress should be the first priority for us in every circumstance, even if that happened, mental assent and acknowledgement is not going to be enough for this to happen. We are going to need the power of God's Spirit to be at work in our hearts and minds for this to actually have the ability to transform us and change our priority level and the way that we think about things. So let us not be so foolish as to think, okay, I'm stoked about that. I see that he's stoked about that. All right, so yeah, let's do it, let's do it, and think that it's just going to be a decision we make. If we don't have the help of the Spirit, I'm telling you, if you care about this, if you're stirred about this, if the Word of God is working like a hammer in your heart right now, if webs of entanglement and encumbrance are being cut away from your heart, and you're realizing there are things in my life way out of priority, way out of order. Don't just say, okay, well, then I'm going to do better. Throw yourself at the feet of Jesus and ask for his help to change it because it's going to take his spirit to do it. I'm thankful he doesn't just lay incredible weights on us. I'm thankful he doesn't just come with a hammer to crush these rocks in our hearts, but not also come along with an answer and a way and a help and a promise that his spirit is going to walk through uh, the whole thing with us and be in the journey and the process as we go. Praise God for his faithfulness on both ends. That he'll come and tell us the truth and then he'll help us walk it out. Amen. Okay, that was verse 12. (laughs) Oh yeah, verses 13 and 14 reveal two truths that we should greatly treasure. The first is that if we are able by God's Spirit to align our thoughts, desires, and priorities with what we see in verse 12 we can make an incredible impact for God's kingdom. Okay, so let's look at 13 and 14. So that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well known throughout the whole praetorian guard and to everyone else, and that most of the brethren, trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment, have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. And so here's, here's what's beautiful, because Paul's perspective is where it's at, because he is totally about, first and foremost, the further progress of the gospel, the good news about Jesus, right? Not, not religion, uh, not some weird form or pseudo gospel, but the beautiful good news that even though every single one of us has fallen short of perfection and suffer the consequences of sin, which is separation from God's spiritual death, even though that's true, Jesus came, lived the perfect life we couldn't, then stood in, took the punishment that we deserved, but rose from the grave victorious. That message, that gospel, that's what he's talking about. We're saying gospel a lot. I just got to make sure we understand what we're talking about. It's that beautiful good news that we're in serious trouble on our own, but that God had a plan and it involved everything that had to do with Jesus coming, dying, and rising from the grave. And because of that, there's hope for all mankind. Praise God. Here's what he's saying. Uh, that. So first of all, that my imprisonment in the cause of Christ has become well-known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Okay, so what does that mean? What is, what is that? The Praetorian Guard, th- these, think of the Secret Service. These are like the big baller, special forces, bad dudes in that time. These are the guys that are going to be close to all the high-level officials. The guys protect... These are personal protection guys. They're going to be the most elite fighters. But also, that's... I mean, I mean I'm all about... Um, getting tough dudes to love Jesus, I mean, that's, that's good. That has its own benefits, right? But, so, but aside from that, these guys are in position of influence and they are close to people of incredible power and influence. And so Paul sees the value of that. He specifically mentions the fact that, hey, all these guards, they know why I'm here. I'm having a chance to talk to them while they're walking by. I'm having a chance to tell them why it is I'm here in chains and what this whole gospel is about, and that's circling through that whole praetorian guard. And then they're going back, and they're standing next to the Caesars and everybody else and the government officials and whatnot, and the gospel's changing them, and now they're getting close to these other guys. And he's stoked about it. He understands the power of uh, being able to influence uh, Influence makers for the gospel. Okay, so that's that's first of all. Uh, the second he says is that then then these other Christians, these uh, what's what's he say here? Verse uh, fourteen, and that most of the brethren trusting in the Lord because of my imprisonment have far more courage to speak the word of God without fear. So this is this is people that are not in Job, but they're hearing about. Paul's imprisonment. They're hearing about his boldness in the midst of his imprisonment. They're hearing that he's talking about stuff like, yeah, I'm rejoicing here because I know that in this moment and in this time, God is using this, even though it's difficult for me, for the furthering of his gospel. They, they're getting the message out. He's writing letters. Colossians and the uh, Uh, Ephesians was also written during the same time period, right? And so these these beautiful letters are going forward. These doctrinally, theologically rich letters are pouring out. Where Paul's saying it over and over again: Yeah, yes, I'm in jail, but guess what? God's working in the midst of it. And so that is it is every single person that's hearing about the Apostle Paul's situation. It is stirring in them a boldness and a confidence that even in the midst of trouble, God's not left us, and the mission of the gospel is going forward. And so it's stirring them up. And, it's, and, and, and that's, that's the point. So what do we see? The fact that he gets this, the fact that he, by God's spirit, not because Paul is somehow better than you or, or, or somehow at some level that you can't get to, but because the spirit of God is at work in his heart and the gospel and its furthering is the highest priority for him, it's affecting not only the way his situation is going, but it's also preaching volumes to those that are hearing about it. They are. Are building confidence and courage and being even more bold than they were because they're starting to. I mean, you can just imagine. You got people out there preaching the gospel, right? Paul gets hemmed up. They, they see him grab, whoo, I'm, I'm about to be quiet about the Lord. But then they find out, hold on, you know, a month later, Paul's still in there and, and he's writing letters to the churches saying, hey guys, let's rejoice because God's using me in the midst of this. They're like, you know what? Yeah. <laughs> out, I'm going back out, right? <laughs> Come on, guys. Let's go tell some people about Jesus. Because what's, what's going to happen, man. We'll get stuck in jail, and God will use us in there. Woo! Amen. But what is the point of that? Let me say it again. If we're able by God's Spirit to align our thoughts, desires, and priorities with what we see in verse 12, we can make an incredible impact for God's kingdom. That's the first truth we see in verse 13 and 14 I think should be a treasure to us. Here's the second. This is true. God is not only able to reveal his power or accomplish his will in one way. We need to know this. Why do I say that? Well, I say that because part of why I I believe Paul was motivated to say this and why he believed the Philippians would... Not only did he care about sending out uh, news of the progress of the gospel, but he knew that those that were getting the letter were going to care first and foremost about the progress of the gospel. Why was that? Well, because... He, he knew the history, and he knew how much they rejoiced in the fact that the first time he got thrown in jail, right, that God miraculously showed up with an earthquake, and he was released. The first time, God was glorified by a miraculous earthquake getting them out of jail. But here's his point. The second time, God is being glorified by Paul staying in jail. And what we need to know is God's people, and we need to be aware of is that God is not limited by what he's done in the past or even what we can imagine in ways that he can accomplish his will or glorify and exalt himself. God was as glor- get this, God was as glorified or more, and we're going to see this in a second. You thought you think I'm excited now? Hold on. God was as glorified or more by Paul staying in jail than he was by miraculously letting him go through an earthquake. Now let us be honest with ourselves. Most of us think God is most glorified and would much rather prefer earthquake release plan, right? Going to jail for Jesus, me me trusting him means, well, I'm going to trust trust that he's going to do what he did for Paul, and so I'm going to sing until this place shakes and the doors crack open. Listen, man, um, that's possible. God could still send an earthquake to bust somebody out of jail. Don't, don't try to tell me he won't do that, man. I will argue you down and make you feel silly. Don't try to tell me that. God, God can still do that today. However, he may also leave you there, <laughs> and he may be glorified through that. It may be very much by his power that he sustains you in the midst of that difficult situation. And guys, this doesn't, this doesn't, are you, I, hope, I hope that this, you're not just... Drawing lines around this and only thinking about the possibility of you being in jail for the faith. You understand that this translates to every difficult situation you find yourself in right now. God may glorify himself through some financial miracle that gets you out of the rut that you're in. Or he might sustain you in the midst of that rut, keep you there, and keep you full of faith and able to rejoice in the midst of it so that someone else can see how much you're struggling and yet full of faith in God, and they may be encouraged and emboldened to trust him. We got to get to get to where we're more like Paul and we don't care which one God does. And so doesn't this change our prayers too, right? Because there was a time when I was a younger man, I ought to pray for an earthquake. God, send me an earthquake and get me up out of here. But I don't think Paul prayed that way. I think Paul prayed things like, God, whichever way you get more glory, whichever way you're exalted more, whichever way... Means that your redemptive plan and purposes and the beauty of your gospel is pushed forward. What I, it really doesn't matter what that means for me, but whichever way that happens, God do that by your power. Changes the way we pray. Changes the way we think. And that's and that's the right way. Here, here's, the, here's the serious trouble, man. And I'm not, I'm not joking. I've heard, I have heard preachers say things like, areas like this where where Paul talks like this, and it's going to get worse here in a second for him, that that Paul had bad theology here. (laughs) What are you even talking about? No. This is good theology. This is the right way to think about it. God's glory and the furthering of his gospel should be (laughs) our highest priority since it's God's highest priority. No, God will only do, ever do good things for you and give you good things. What, man, what do you mean? According to your terms and, and the definitions that you can come up with in your finite understanding? Is that what you mean by good things, man? Sometimes good things looks different than you think it does, dear friend. So you better humble yourself. Quit talking like that. There might be an earthquake and it won't be to get you out of jail. Something will fall on your head, man. tell I really like that stuff. God God is not only able to reveal his power or accomplish his will in one way. uh, He did it first time through his release, the second time through keeping him there. Uh, Many Christians in in some denominations and movements have missed this truth, and it has led to a lot of confusion and pain. It has led to people uh, walking away from the faith or not wanting to even approach the faith, because of this misunderstanding. Uh, it's led to things like where certain movements and denominations throughout church history have chased certain signs and wonders. Someone will hear that somewhere, sometime, some gold dust fell out of the air. Listen, man, I, I don't know that maybe in some meeting somewhere God didn't materialize gold dust. I, I mean, I think that's a little weird, and I, I have a trouble understanding how that really is leading to God's glory or the furthering of his gospel, which seems to be what his high priority is. However, whatever, however, whatever, whatever forever, You know what I mean? I don't know. I can't say for sure that that never happened one time, but here's the problem, man. When people think, oh, that happened one time, and that's the way God's going to show his sign of mercy and blessing and the fact that he's in the meeting, and so that happened once, so we're going to chase that, man. We're going to pray till God rains gold dust down on this meeting. And you know what ends up happening, man? People feel the pressure of that because they open up their mouths and say stuff like that, and then they start doing crazy stuff like putting gold dust in, in the return vents on the furnace and turning it on. So that you can get some gold dust, all under the guise of, well, I just I just want to encourage people and build their faith. No man, you're a charlatan and a heretic, and if you don't stop and repent, you're going to go to hell for that. Flat out. It's not always it's not always that uh, egregious and or intentional. You know, sometimes there's just, there's things God has done throughout church history. Man, there was. There's been incredible revivals throughout church history. There's a time when guys were riding horses around the countryside, man, preaching the word of God, and places where just the fire of God was falling down upon these places, and cr- tons of people were turning from sin and trusting in Jesus, which if you, if you want to judge what's If, if something is, This is not in my notes. This has nothing to do with anything I was going to talk about, but I'm going to say it anyways, because you brought it up, all right? <laughs> if <laughs> if you got somebody telling you something is a revival, here's here's just one quick way to judge that. We should judge it? Yes. Are people turning from sin and trusting in Jesus? That's going to be, if God's involved in a move in the earth, that's going to be happening. I'm not saying other things won't be happening. There may be healings, there may be miracles, there may be deliverances, there may be addictions being broke off people in miraculous ways. All that stuff is absolutely on the table for God and his magnificent power. Yes, and amen, and I'm happy about it, and I believe in all of it. But if you're if you got a bunch of that supposedly happening and nobody's really turning from sin and trusting in Jesus, then the Holy Spirit's not in it. Because the Holy Spirit is about one thing, exalting King Jesus among uh, the people of the earth. Okay? So, but a lot of times, because people don't understand, God can do different things in different ways. Like he, he, He's God, right? So he, if he does something one time, one way, that doesn't mean he's bound to do it that way again. He may never do it that way again, or he may do it a lot of times that way. He's God, right? I just want him to do whatever's going to lead most to his glory and the furthering of his gospel. If he, if he wants to heal somebody in this church, if he wants to do a miracle, and he has, I can't tell you how many people that were told straight to their face, you'll never have a baby. This is why, and, and then we have a nursery that is exploding with a bunch of miracle babies in the back. Don't tell me God doesn't still intervene in the physical world and do miracles. Yes, he does, man. Yup. I can take you back and let you hold some if their mama will let me i 've seen it, okay, and that 's not the only thing i 'm just, I'm, I'm just telling you I'm, i 'm not, not preaching against signs and wonders. sometimes God does that to put put his stamp of approval on what 's going on, and sometimes he does that just 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 as a sign of his power uh, to soften people up to the truth of the gospel. Yes, but the gospel 's always going to be in there when you get to the point where you 're just chasing signs and wonders for the sake of signs and wonders right what 's the goal? Why do I want to see somebody healed well when Jesus was running around healing people and when the apostles were running around healing people, it was because it was, it was opening them up and it was showing them the power of God and it was leading them towards trust in Jesus. And the purpose of miracles and signs and all of that has not changed. It's not to entertain us and it's uh, not to you know boost up somebody's bank account so they can get a jet, okay? Woo, what did he eat today? I don't know. <laughs> Whatever it is, I'm going find more of it. might have been that spinach salad, babe. Make me another one of them, would you? I think my folic acid is up, and I'm feeling good. That, that wasn't misogynist. I mean, I, I'll make my own salad, but she doesn't mind. Sometimes she'll make salad for me. I can do it. I've, I've done it before. Uh, all right. All um, right. We, 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 every, every time we decide God can only do things a certain way, we end up in error and falsehood. And there, there's a lot of movements, a lot of supposed revivals that have, have essentially just been um, just fake, totally fake. Because what they're after is something they saw God did at one time or somebody said God did at one time. And so we're going to go in here and we're going we're gonna to demand that God does it that way right here again. Nope. We don't tell God what to do. You guys understand that, right? Like, That's not how this works, because he's God, and I'm glad. Uh, verses 15 through 18. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ, even from envy and strife, but some also from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition rather than from pure motives, thinking to cause me distress in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in this I rejoice. All right, I want to start by saying we we cannot let verse 18 say more than it says. We can't make it say more than it says, okay? Okay though god will use all different means to accomplish his plans it does not mean that motives don't matter okay let me say a first things about this so first of all paul says that the people here that are preaching even if their motives are bad he says emphatically they are preaching christ okay so the first thing you need to understand is the message matters okay just, just because somebody's out there and, and remember, remember the demonic girl from Acts this, 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 these are the lord's servants. She had, she had all the right rhetoric, but she was, she was missing some stuff there was There was deception in it okay This, this is also from Paul in, in Galatians okay I'm, I'm trying to make sure we don't make verse eighteen turn us into people. Uh, that, that aren't willing to make a judgment when a judgment should be made, right? Not in a haughty way, not in a prideful way, but in a spirit-led way. Galatians 1, 6 through 6-9 I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not another, only there are some who are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be Accursed, as we have said before. So I say again now: if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Okay. So verse eighteen doesn't mean anybody who's running around and, and can and the word Jesus escapes their mouth. That that oh well it's okay. Well, well God will use them, so I'm not going to worry about it. No. If if these Paul dealt with heretics, so obviously these guys he's talking about they were. Preaching Jesus rightly, they were preaching the gospel. He perceived by the power of the Spirit that their motives were not right, but the message was correct. Paul's very clear. If the message is wrong, if you're preaching a contrary gospel, if you've got some mixed up works based, that was the problem here. They were trying to mix in some, some uh, law based stuff. You need this and Christ. He's like, no. And if anybody does that, they're to be accursed. I don't care if it's an angel from heaven, because this gospel we preach to you is the one true message from the one true holy God. And so don't listen to anything else. Right? So verse 18 doesn't mean uh, we don't don't have spiritual discernment and listening just, just because somebody says God. Okay? The message matters. Anyone claiming to represent Jesus who is preaching a false gospel is to be called to repentance and not coddled or tolerated. Okay? So this is not a light thing and... Paul's not saying here in verse 18, we'll just kind of let everybody do their thing. No, man. If, if somebody is claiming to represent Jesus, but they are preaching a false gospel that does not line up with the beauty of the gospel that we are given in the scriptures, then we are going to stand, not, we're not just going to go, oh, okay, well, maybe God will use that. No, I, I, I will stand in opposition to that. I will be a roadblock for that. You with me? And I hope you will too. That, that is the call. And Matthew, or, uh, I'm sorry, we're going to Matthew. Uh, Philippians 1.18 is not saying, well, just, just let it go. It'll be, it'll be fine. God can use that. No. No. If a false gospel is being preached, that's the work of, of Satan, and, and we stand in opposition to that by the power of God. Okay? Uh, second thing, though Paul rejoices at the gospel being preached, even by those with tainted motives, that does not mean those motives will be overlooked by God. Just because he's able to rejoice in the fact that the gospel is going forward with even though it's out of people that maybe have tainted motives, we can't let that make us less willing especially to judge our own motives when it is we are preaching or being engaged in gospel ministry. Okay, This is from Jesus, Matthew 23, 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites... For you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they are full of robbery and self-indulgence. Okay, That's just one verse. I could give you 30 more that say clearly God doesn't just care what you do or what you say, but why you do what you do and why you say what you say. Okay, so just because he's able to rejoice in the fact that these guys with tainted motives... Are, are, are preaching the gospel, and God, God can use that. If it, is, if it is the pure gospel going forward, God can use that to propel His purposes forward. That doesn't mean there's not going to be issues for those guys that have tainted motives and are doing it with tainted motives. They still need to repent, they still need to get humble, and they still need to check themselves and get to the right motive, which is God's glory and exalting Him alone. Not what seems to be going on here, which is competition. Sadly, among many preachers and churches, there is a sense of competition. Most commentators agree that this is what is going on here. Other preachers were happy that Paul was in jail because they thought it would give them a chance to rise to prominence and fame, writing the message of the gospel. A.W. Tozer wrote uh, this powerful set of words here, rebuking the attitude of competition that is common among those in ministry. Here's what he said. Dear Lord, I refuse henceforth to to compete with any of thy servants. They have congregations larger than mine, so be it. I rejoice in their success. They have greater gifts, very well. That is not in their power nor in mine. I am humbly grateful for their greater gifts and my smaller ones. I only pray that I may use to thy glory such modest gifts as I possess. I will not compare myself with any nor try to build up my self-esteem by noting where I may excel or another where I, where I may excel one or another in thy holy work. I herewith make a blanket disavowal of all intrinsic worth. I am but an unprofitable servant. I gladly go to the foot of the cross and own myself the least of thy people. If I err in my self-judgment and actually underestimate underestimate myself, I do not want to know it. I purpose to pray for others and to rejoice in their prosperity as if it were my own. And indeed, it is my own if it is thine own, for what is thine is mine. And while one plants and another waters, it is thou alone that giveth the increase. Amen. Amen. This, this competition thing, man, it's, it's why sometimes, sometimes I struggle when I get around other pastors and church leaders because almost invariably, most, most of them, may, maybe not, but if you get in a big enough group of them, almost invariably, somebody wants to know. So how many people are at your church? I mean, you get a group of pastors in a room, that, somebody's going to ask that. And it irks me for two reasons. A, this is not my church. This church belongs to King Jesus, and I'm simply an under-shepherd serving him. I am a part of this body. God has called me and equipped me and gifted me to be a leader in this body, to preach the word of God in this body, but that doesn't put me above you or somehow different than you in as far as fulfilling the mission God has given us. We're together in this thing, and we're all serving Jesus. This is not my church. This is not my ministry. This is not my glory. This is not my reputation. This is not my self esteem. Jesus called this church into existence. Jesus sustains this church by his power. And Jesus is the one that's going to sustain us moving forward. It's not by my power or by my strength because I don't have much. This is his church. And that, that, so that question bugs me for that reason, and I'm not saying that because it doesn't happen. I, this, this is the wording <laughs> all the time. How many people are at your church? So that's the first reason it frustrates me. Second. Second, the, the, the other reason it bothers me is, why is that always the first question? Why is it always? So how many people are at your church? What, what, what is the deal there? Well often it's because a church's size is a measurable metric that can be applied to a ministry leader's sense of success. Many times their personal identity is tied to how many people gather together in the building uh, that you know, they rent or own or whatever and use to gather. Okay, that's very much so. It, it, their, their ability to figure out whether or not they're succeeding is tied to that, uh, their perception of that. Uh, and sadly, even much of the writing today that is meant for ministry leaders. Focuses on growth targets and barriers and how to break them. Tips and tricks and blah 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 blah. Okay, here's here's the deal. Instead of instead of inflating attendance numbers in a sinful spirit of competition, you know what I mean when I say that? Because here's the real problem. Because guys ask each other that question all the time. Uh, you know they're going to reach back to the time that uh, you know that there there was a, a mouse infestation in their church building, and they're going to count that number right. And so Oh yeah, it's about, it's about 1,200, when really they probably have 600 at their church, but one time with the mice, the flies, the kids, and some people that just happened to be on the church grounds walking by when they counted, they got 1,200, right? And so I must, there's churches with way, many, many, many tens of thousands of people. I'm not saying that's not possibly real, but I'm saying most of the time because when guys get in a group and they go to a pastor's conference or whatever this deal is, and I'm not, look, some of them are great. I've been to good ones. I've also been to really crummy ones where guys just sat around and you know, puffed their chest out and talked about how many people they had. And I just went and found a corner to drink coffee and get away from them before I ended up at a fight at the pastor's conference. You know what I mean? Like, Don't invite that guy back. You know what I mean? Actually, one of them, I never did get invited back. I wonder what happened. Somebody remind me to ask about that. Okay, um, Instead of inflating attendance numbers in a sinful spirit of competition, what, when pastors talk to each other, why, why can't we ask each other questions like, "Hey, man, do you have any stories of how God is working in the lives of the people that you're leading? You got any stories that, that just show the fingerprints of God in the lives of, of, of people that, that you're aware of, man? Tell, tell me a cool story of what God's doing, or you know, do, do you have any cool stories of that people are meeting Jesus and, and and growing as disciples, as opposed to you got a bunch of people to show up." Whoopity do, man. Pop the confetti. Yay, they showed up. We weren't called to gather big crowds, man. Jesus didn't say to his, his men before he ascended into heaven, hey, you guys go out here and use whatever possible methods, tips, and tricks you can to get as many people to show up at the same time so you can count them. <laughs> Did he? He said, go into all the earth and make disciples, and I'm going to be with you the whole time you're doing it. I wish we asked each other more. (laughs) You got any cool discipleship stories, man? What What are the clear ways that people are growing in the faith, man? What's some cool stories of sacrifice where you're seeing people shed their their old selves and and become new in Christ? You got any cool transformation stories, man? Problem is, if you spend most of your time counting people, you probably don't even know the people well enough to know any transformation stories. Woo! It's going on the internet, y'all. Maybe I shouldn't eat spinach salad anymore. <laughs> okay, I think we're out of I think we're out of that that stuff. Okay. Verse 19 and 20, all right? Uh, 18 finishes, yes and I will rejoice for. So mm, yes and I will rejoice for. Okay, we don't say it that way. We'd say because I'm going to rejoice because I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything but that with all boldness Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. Okay, so this this gives us two questions to answer. First of all, uh, it's key that we notice he says, yes, and I will rejoice. If we can get this, we, we, can, we can have a key to unlock the beautiful opportunity in Christ to rejoice in every situation. And this is going to be a theme going through this entire book. Since it makes sense, since we're reading a letter from a guy in jail that is known to be some of the most prolific uh, literature on, on the subject of joy ever written. A guy in a jail cell waiting for a death sentence wrote that. So, I mean, we're going to approach this idea of whatever we're dealing with, we can have joy in Christ. This, but this, we'll be able to zero in on it here, and if we, if we can catch this, guys, I, I promise it'll make a difference. I promise it'll make a difference, not only in our lives, uh, but in our effectiveness for God's kingdom. Okay, so two questions. How will deliverance come, and what does deliverance look like? Okay, so he talks about, I'm sure, I'm, I'm rejoicing because I'm sure that this deliverance is coming. So how will deliverance come, and what does deliverance look like? First of all, he says, "Uh, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers. Full stop. What does that tell us? Prayer is super important. It's not a footnote to the Christian faith. It's not somehow an auxiliary, secondary thing that if we have time, we'll get to it. Us coming before God, communicating with him, us bringing the needs of not only... You know our own struggles and stuff, but bringing uh, the needs of our brothers and sisters—those that are uh, having a great time and those that are suffering deeply—us coming to God in prayer matters. Part of why Paul is able to rejoice in the midst of this incredibly difficult situation is that he has confidence that his deliverance is going to come partially through the prayers of the saints. Now, what does this mean? Does this mean that um, if if the Philippian church didn't pray, that God couldn't move? Some people teach that. I don't think that's true. But I think, nevertheless, for us to be obedient and for us to actually be a part, as we are intended to be, of God's redemptive purposes, part of how we are in this game, part of how we are in this mission, is that we are praying about it. We are praying to God about those that are suffering. We are praying to God, asking for wisdom on how it is we can most clearly and vibrantly and beautifully reflect the goodness of his character and nature and the, and the truth of his gospel to the world? These Are these things we're praying about? God, how do I preach your gospel better? God, how do I find myself in more opportunities to share? Are these desires that bubble up out and through into our prayers? God, I deeply care for those that I know that are suffering right now. Or God, I deeply care for those that maybe if I don't even know their name, but I know in the world they are being persecuted for the faith. Are we praying for those that are suffering today and jailed for the faith? Does that even do anything when you hear that today, we think, oh, well, this is ancient, what's-and-not, right? Thousands of years ago. Guys, today, there are people that simply because they love Jesus and have talked about it, are in jail and in the very same circumstance. And so, Part of their deliverance is tied to whether or not the rest of the body of Christ is going to care about it and pray about it. Paul said it matters. And part of why he was able to rejoice in the midst of his tribulation is he knew that these believers were going to be praying for him. I sure hope that those that are suffering today can be confident that some, at least some of the rest of us are going to care about them and pray for them. And that that's going to matter. It's going to be a part of the picture. So our prayers... Prayer matters. Prayer is an important part of how we participate in what God is doing in the earth. And, and we see the more and more our priorities are aligned the way verse 12 reveals to us that Paul's and, and the Philippian church's priorities are. Uh, when the gospel is, is for of foremost importance, when God's exaltation and glory is of our highest concern, we're not so concerned with That doesn't mean we just don't care about the rest of details in our life. We need to care about that because God uses those details, and that's part of how, through our story, he exalts himself. So it doesn't mean all I ever think about only is God's glory and his exaltation, but I I think about these other things in light of God's glory and exaltation. It always is there as the highest priority and grid through which I'm filtering every situation, thought, desire, prayer, and all of it. How is it God's going to be exalted? How is it his gospel is going to go in forward progress through this situation. Whether I'm doing great or whether I'm having a real hard time. That's what that looks like. Okay? So, how will deliverance come? One is through prayer. The second, and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. I got ahead of myself earlier and I started, I, I started to kind of say this already, but here's, here's the bottom line. We will not come anywhere close to the kind of joy-filled power described here and we will be very much... Uh, rendered incapable of participating in God's redemptive purposes or exalting Him in the earth, if we rely on ourselves, if we think somehow we're just going to learn what to do from this and in and of ourselves with our strength be able to march out there and get it done, we will fall flat on our faces, we will fail, we'll be an embarrassment to ourselves and to God. If that's what we're going to do, we should just not do it. If we don't have the power of the Spirit of Christ helping us, if we are not praying for that, if we are not believing wholeheartedly, if we are not fully made to understand that we can't get this done. That's why Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. Do you understand how crazy that is? Go into all the world and tell them, this Jewish carpenter that his own people murdered him and called him a heretic, he's God in the flesh, rose from the grave, and you should worship him. Go into all the world and get people to lay down everything to serve that God, and then spend the rest of their lives telling other people about it. That's what I want you to Go out in all the world and get everyone on that train. Will you help us with that? Because that sounds really hard, right? I mean, that's if we really understand what the call is, man, if we understand the mission of God, if we understand the weight and glory of what's been set upon us as the church... We will cry out in desperation for the help of the Spirit. But the beauty is our cries will never be met with indifference. God will come and He will shower upon us the power of His Spirit so that we can get the job done. Amen. Man, I hope you care about that. We need Him and we'll have Him because He's faithful. The Spirit of God is not going to leave us uh, out here wandering by ourselves trying to do this in our own strength because we dry up quick, man. Like a branch separated from the vine, it won't work. But with Him, man, we can do really incredible things to the glory of God. So how will deliverance come? Prayer and the power of God's Spirit. Secondly, what does deliverance look like? Guys, this is, this is the linchpin, Okay. I don't know how long I've been going. I don't know how many of you have, have, have maybe checked out on me. I'm asking you, please, come, come back in here for this, okay? I need you for a minute. This, this right here is, is, is paradigm-shifting and, and, and life-changing. This matters so much. What does deliverance look like? Let's read this carefully. I, yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. What does deliverance look like for Paul in this situation? Paul is in jail for the faith. What does deliverance look like to him? Here's what he says. But with all boldness, Christ will even now as always be exalted in my body and here's the kicker whether by life or by death first of all deliverance for Paul in this situation is not getting out of jail do you understand how important that is he's saying I know I am am going to stand in joy and rejoicing because I know that through your prayers and by the power of the spirit of Christ I will have deliverance what's that deliverance look like that Christ will be exalted in this I will be delivered through the fact that Christ is going to be exalted in this. Whether I live or I die. Guys, this, this changes everything. I, I, I super hope you're tracking with me. And, and I I've, I've pleaded with God before I stepped out here to explain this in such a way that it, it would be the bomb dropped on us that it needs to be. This man is saying, here's what deliverance looks like for me. Whatever exalts Christ, whether I die in here or whether I live and escape, whatever it means, as long as Christ is exalted, I'm delivered. My deliverance, my joy, my hope is tied not to what happens to me in this, but Paul is so inextricably tied to the mission of God, he sees what is good for him so linked to the exaltation of Christ that his care is not even what actually happens to him. Just that whatever happens leads to Christ's exaltation. Do you see that? That changes everything. That is why the demonic heresy known as the prosperity gospel cannot be true. Because it teaches God will ever only give you good things or do good things in the way that you see or describe them or define them from your finite point of view. This is what the gospel does to a heart. It gets you to the point where you are so crushed by the hammer of God's word, you are so cut up by the sword of God's word, that you are left at a place where what you care about most, which your, your whole destiny is tied to this one fact, is God's glorious gospel pushed forward and is Christ exalted. And people will push back and say, Yeah, well, Romans, Romans says that, um, you know, that, that God's got good plans for, uh, you know, He's going to work all things for the good of those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. That's Romans 8. Well, what about that? You're, You're not tracking with me here. You see, Paul believed what was good for him was whatever led to the exaltation of Christ because what was more important to him was what was going on in the glory of God and the furthering of the gospel. There's an equal sign for Paul. Do you understand this? Between his good and the exaltation of Christ. Well, am I in jail? Do I have food? Am I healthy? He doesn't care. I just want to know. Whatever happens that I'm delivered because Christ is exalted whether I live or I die. Totally and completely yields all of his dreams, hope, his destiny, his very life, lays it down at the feet of Christ. And says, whatever leads to your exaltation, that is for my good because I'm on team Jesus. And so when I came on team Jesus, that means I'm not just about me or what I hope and happens or what I think would be good, but what leads to the exaltation of Christ Jesus is for my good. So, we need to quit quoting Romans 8 with a wish list behind it. And look, it's not wrong for us to have a desire for something other than the exaltation of Christ. But whatever that desire is has to be submitted to and underneath in priority to the exaltation and the glory of Christ and the furthering of his gospel. I really want to own a house one day. Praise God. That's great. God may give you a house so that you can be hospitable to people and have them over and tell them about Jesus, or he might give you a house and he might let you own a house on a street with a bunch of people that don't know Jesus so that you can be a great neighbor and tell them about Jesus. But you need to ask yourself, submit every desire to this grid. How does this lead to the exaltation and the glory of Christ? I want to be married one day, Pastor Vince. That's awesome. That, that's, a great, that's a great noble desire. Amen. God may give you a spouse one day where you guys can not only uh, humbly serve each other in a way that glorifies and magnifies God and reflects to the world what it looks like for Jesus to lay down his life for his bride, the church. And he may also let you exalt him and glorify him when you fight and you're nasty to each other, but then you repent and forgive each other. God may grant you that, but don't just want a spouse Make yourself submit those desires to this grid. How does this play in to the exaltation, the glory of Christ, and the furthering of his gospel? Every desire must come up under that. And we must be able to join Paul in saying, I'm trusting, I'm rejoicing, whatever it is you're struggling with today, whatever the situation looked like. If you're here, I'm assuming you're not in chains for the gospel. Praise God. But I know you're going through something. I know you got struggles. I know you got situations that if if you could just do whatever you want, it would look different. But we got to look at it through this lens. A, can you rejoice in the midst of it? Because you realize this is an opportunity to persevere by God's grace and prove his power strong. Can you rejoice in it? Because you know this is an opportunity to bring in other believers to pray for you and love with you and walk with you through this. And, And can you can you rejoice? Because ultimately, What matters is not even how this situation plays out from a temporal standpoint, but that either way it goes, depending on how you deal with it and how it is by the Spirit of God you handle it, Christ can be exalted. Will you rejoice solely and alone, completely, in the exaltation of King Jesus, our Savior, and the furthering of his beautiful gospel? I know for some of you, you're like, man, like I see that, but I'm not there. Praise God, thank you for being honest, but here's what I'm submitting to you. E- even if you're not there, even if you're like, I, I, just, I totally, I don't know why you're so excited about a guy not caring if he lives or dies, right? And, and if that's what you're at, here's what I'm asking you to do. Would you please pray? Would you please ask God through the power of these scriptures and by the power of his spirit to begin to reveal to you why this matters so much? Why the husky guy's sweating on stage and he's all excited about it. Ask God to help you understand why this matters and why it is this man was able to rejoice in the face of a death sentence and say, I'm I'm so full of joy because here's what I know. Whether I live or die, Christ is going to be exalted. How, How do we get there? Some of us are not there. Some of you don't even want to be there. Some of you think it's crazy that I'm saying that. Please, submit those thoughts to God and ask. read these verses. Pray before you do it. Ask God to show you. Some of you have received other teaching in the past that runs exactly contrary to what I'm saying, and you would join other people and say, well, I'm not sure that's right. Paul's theology might have been off there. Nope. This harmonizes with the rest of what the Scriptures have to say on the subject. The the question is, can we look at it with these lenses? Can we put an equal... here's, Here's what it comes down to, friends. I tried to boil it down as much as possible by the Spirit of God. I labored over this. Can you put an equal sign? Can you think of Romans 8? That God is going to work all things for the good of those that love Him and are called according to His purpose. Can you put an equal sign between your good and God's glory? Can you actually see that whatever leads to God's glory is the best thing? If, it is we, are, if, if we are in this thing with Jesus, the best thing for me is that whatever it means for my life, it leads to His glory. Because ultimately what this whole thing is about is ending up with him forever. And, and the reason I'm here is to tell as many people as possible that if they'll turn from sin and trust in Jesus, they can be with him forever. And so whatever leads to his glory. See, it, God's desire and heart, Peter told us about it, right? He, he's, waited, he's waiting. He hasn't shown up yet, and he hasn't, he hasn't stomped his enemies into dust yet because he's patient, and he's waiting for as many people as possible. Because he, he, he wills that none should perish. And so he's giving us time to keep working on this mission he's given us. Well, why? Because God is incredibly merciful and God is incredibly loving. And part of his incredible love and mercy is that he has brought us in and allows us to be a part of his redemptive plan and purposes. And so the best thing for you is whatever leads to God's glory. You mean even if I was to die in jail, that's for my good? I know that's hard. Yes, if it leads to God's glory. Because if you get to the point where you care more about God's glory than your life, you're free. Do you see how Paul's talking here? This is a free dude. How do you beat this guy? I'm in jail for doing nothing but telling people Jesus is awesome. They're probably going to kill me, but I'm rejoicing. How, how, how do you beat that guy? How do you beat the guy that sings hymns and songs of praise to God as you take him out uh, to hang him? How do you beat the guy that's declaring God's glory with a smile on his face as, as you kill him for his faith? You can't. Because he's put the equal sign between his good and God's glory. I realize a lot needs to shed. A lot needs to be, to, to, to be stripped away from us in order to think this way. And it's not going to be something we're going to, we're going to get at one time. There's going to be a constant temptation for the rest of our lives for other things to come in and be of higher importance to us than the glory of God, the exaltation of Christ, and the furthering of his gospel. I'm just trying to set the bar for you. This, this is what God asks of us. It sounds hard, doesn't it? It sounds hard to think that way all the time. Can we be honest? That's why also mixed in this, Paul keeps saying, and I keep saying to you, we need the help of the Holy Spirit. We can't even do the basic things God has asked of us without the help of the Spirit. So quit trying to do this on your own. Quit looking at this and looking at your own mental faculties, your own place where you're at right now, looking at the condition of your own heart, what your life looks like, and say, you know what, I hear what that guy's saying. There's no way I can do that. I agree with you. And there's no way I can do it either. That's why we need the power of the Spirit of Christ at work in us. So we need to be praying that for ourselves, praying that for each other. And we can, we can be sure. We can be sure our deliverance, we will be delivered. Deliverance is sure when what deliverance looks like for us is God's glory and the exaltation of Christ. I, I I hope we got it across. Jesus, help us, please. May we be a people who care most and think first about the progress of God's glorious gospel in any and every circumstance. May we be a people who assess our motives often and never see ourselves in competition with others who are pushing for the progress of the gospel. And may our greatest hope be not for a comfortable life, but a life that exalts the risen Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Lord, we are so thankful for this letter written from a jail cell by a man totally enraptured and enveloped by your love, whose eyes were set upon you, who saw his circumstance through the grid of your glory and exaltation. Thank you, God, for the lessons this teaches us. Help us, Lord, by the power of your spirit, we know without that it won't happen. Help us, God, to set priorities on our own thinking and our own lives correctly. Help us, God, to see that our greatest, you are working all things for the good of those that love you and are called according to your purpose. And Lord, working for your glory is working for our good. Seeing that you are exalted in the earth is working for our good because, God, we are tied to you. We have become a part of you in Christ. We have been grafted in like a branch into a vine. We are connected to you. Your mission is now our mission. Your, your heart and your will and desire, God, more and more we're hoping that becomes our will and our desire. And so what's good for you is good for us. And I thank you, God, what is good for all is to see the goodness of your glory, that they would turn from their wicked ways and turn from sin and turn from pride and that they would humble themselves and that they would see their need for relationship with the God that made them. That is what's good for us as your people. Your glory is for our good. God, I thank You for these verses. I thank You for every person that uh, maybe was, was struggling to, to believe what I was saying or, or was disagreeing because of, of various reasons. God, I thank You for uh, the fact that they sat through it, and I, I thank You, God, for the power of Your Spirit working with them. Lord, I ask that You would, uh, as You promised, that Your Word would, would be a hammer and a sword, and it would cut away what needs to be cut away, and it would crush what needs to be crushed so that we can submit uh, humbly to what it is these verses are teaching us. Lord, may we be about Your glory first and foremost. May our lives be about Your exaltation. May we see our deliverance, God, in the furthering of Your gospel. We love You and we worship You and we trust You because You're worthy. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.